name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, our Maker, Redeemer, and Comforter, we are assembled in your presence to hear your holy word. We pray you so to open our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we may be taught to repent of our sins, to believe on Jesus in life and in death, and to grow day by day in grace and holiness. Hear us for Christ's sake. Amen. St. Paul explains for us the situation we are in very clearly when he says to the Ephesians, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This battle is only discernible by means of the truth. You learn what the lie is when you learn what the truth is. You can recognize a counterfeit bill only when you know a true bill. So it is with the truth. There is a cosmic battle between the devil and his seed and Jesus and his. And when Jesus became man, when the Son of God came down from heaven for us and for our salvation and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, the devil and his minions knew that war, which had been declared in the Garden of Eden, was now happening. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. And so the devil marshaled his troops and attacked. He incited Herod to try to murder the little baby Jesus. He went after Jesus in the wilderness in single combat to try to tempt him to sin. He went after Jesus' own disciples made them stumble, and he even got one, Judas, when he entered into his heart to betray his Lord. And so there were, more often than usual, many demon possessions. Now what the devil wants is to destroy us. It is a very simple thing. He doesn't want you to have any joy at all. And the way that he does this is that he lies. He lies about sin, about God's law, and he lies about grace, about Christ's forgiveness of sins for you. And so he and his seed will always oppose Jesus. The devil murders souls by lying to them, by teaching false doctrine. Did God really say? And so his seed, those who believe his lies, oppose Jesus while he's on earth. Jesus casts out a man who, a demon from a man who is mute. This demon was actually physically controlling his body so he couldn't talk. He didn't want him to have any control over what he said. This poor man didn't decide to have a demon come into his life. Jesus had pity on him. And he cast the demon out and a lot of the people marveled. 
Now, that he cast a demon out was undeniable. Everybody saw it in front of their own eyes. But nevertheless, the devil's seed, his children, who are on this earth, opposed Jesus. Some said he casts out demons by the name of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others demanded that he give a sign from heaven, as if him casting a demon out of a man wasn't already a sign enough. They may have wanted to see the sun stop in the sky like Joshua did or fire come down like Elijah did, something like that. They were never satisfied with the word of God. But leaving them aside, looking at this accusation is utterly absurd. Jesus destroys his ar- their argument. He knows their thoughts. And he says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against itself Falls. If Satan is divided against Satan, how shall his kingdom stand? And so he shows the idiocy of this. Now why is it that they do this? This is the same trick the devil does. When the devil said, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's making God seem as if he's holding out on you. That's what he's doing. Oh, God's withholding something good from me. And so he makes God seem to be evil. He makes God seem to be against you. And this is also what they're saying. They're saying Jesus is with the devil. Don't go to him. Jesus destroys their argument not only by its uh, its unreasonableness, but also by pointing out that their sons cast out demons. So by whom do your sons cast them out? And they cast them out by the word of God. So if I'm on the devil's side, so are your sons. And finally he says, if by the the finger of God, and this is translated in Matthew as the spirit of God. So the spirit of God is the finger of God. If I by the spirit of God cast out demons, then surely the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus shows his power over the devil. He is here to destroy the works of the devil. He is here to destroy his power over a man not being able to speak. He is here to destroy the work of the devil that would make us not speak the truth that God speaks to us. Now in the kingdom of God, there is a spirit and truth the Holy Spirit and his truth in Christ. We say in our catechism, the kingdom of God comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, so that by his grace we believe his holy word and be godly lives here in time and there in eternity. That's the kingdom of God. It's against the evil spirit. It's against false doctrine. It's against an immoral life. It is Jesus ruling over you, forgiving you your sins, and guiding you throughout this short life. The kingdom of the devil, again, he rules with lies. That's what he does. He rules with false doctrine. Did God really say, you're not going to die, you will be like God? He lies about the law of God, and he lies about the gospel. He lies against the word of God. The Word of God is the most powerful thing there is. When you have your baptism, your baptism 
is the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The name of the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. The name of the God who became your brother and redeemed you from all sins. The name of the Spirit who is holy and makes you a poor sinner holy. The devil flees from your baptism. And that is why he seeks, he is always driven out to waterless places. This is why people attack the doctrine of baptism. Who is really attacking the doctrine of baptism? Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's what he says. He wouldn't say whoever believes and does good works will be saved because you're not saved by your good works. Your baptism isn't your work. Who would tell you that something that God does is what you do? Who would tell you that you shouldn't trust in what God says? God says through his apostle, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God says that. Who would tell you that this washing is merely an inward washing and that you can't look outside of yourself to the word of God in the water to know about this birth that God gave you? Who would tell you that? The word of God says there is an antitype of the flood, a replacement of the flood, baptism, which also now saves you, not by the removal of filth from the flesh, but by an appeal to God for a good conscience by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, everything that Christ has done, his death and his resurrection, is placed on you in your baptism so that at every time of your life, whether you have strayed or you are struggling under temptation, you can say, I am baptized and therefore I can appeal to God for mercy. Who would tell you that baptism doesn't save when the Bible explicitly says that God, that baptism saves? Who would do that? Who would not want you to have the comfort of the forgiveness of sins every day of your life, of a good conscience? Who? The devil would. Therefore, when those denominations which tell you not to trust in your baptism mock our baptism, I once heard a Baptist tell me that, that saying that baptism saves is spitting on the blood of Christ. No, on the contrary. You reject the blood of Christ which clothes me in my baptism because I am buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I use this one example of baptism because that is where the devil flees from. He flees from the water. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters of creation. We were born again of water and the Spirit. And the word of God that is joined to the water drives the devil away. It drives him to those waterless places where he has no rest. The devil doesn't want you to trust in the word of God. He doesn't want you to repent. He doesn't want you to believe that you will surely die if you continue in the sins from which you have been cleansed. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience Therefore, do not be partakers with them. This means that if you see these sins in your life, repent of them. The devil tells you not to repent of them. He tells you to hold on to them. 
He tells you to follow the world with her sexual mores. To say, God just wants you to be happy. This is your nature. I'm sure it is your sinful nature. God wants us to be, God wants us to be free from sin. The devil wants us to be enslaved by sin. This means also that you look at the world and how she longs for money and goods and power and all of these other things. Someone who is covetous, who is greedy, who does not give his money for taking care of his family and the church, who closes his heart to the poor, who only uses what he has for the sake of his own desires, is an idolater who has no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. And I don't care what your economic views are. Greed is not good. God may work through evil to do good, but don't ever repeat what the devil says. Greed is good? That's what these capitalists say sometimes. I'm not condoning communism, obviously. Beware of this. That's the world. That's what the devil says. What is that? It's a lie. It's not just that you will be discontent if you are greedy. He who has much silver will never be satisfied with silver. It's that you will lose the spirit of God. He will leave you. You will grieve him by worshiping what perishes instead of seeking from the living God the forgiveness of sins, the right to be called a child of God, and the hope of eternal life. The devil lies. He lies when he says that there are many ways to God, but God says you shall have no other gods before me. He lies when he says you don't need to pray to God but the, but the law says, call upon me in the day of trouble. He lies when he says, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. But the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. He lies when he says that you will not die if you ignore the authorities in your life, your parents and your boss, the government. He lies when he says you can hold a grudge in your heart. He lies when he says you can foster these lusts in your life and you will not surely die. He lies when he tells you take what doesn't belong to you. He lies when he tells you to hold suspicions of another. In gossip, he lies when he tells you to scheme to get what doesn't belong to you. He lies. And when he lies and we believe him, he kills us. That is why Jesus appeared. Because he lied. The devil did. He lied to our first parents and they believed him and we are all born believing in the lies of the devil. And the only thing that can stop him is Jesus who speaks and confirms the word of God. Who by the spirit of God casts out demons. Who fights the lie. Because he also lies about the grace of God, this devil. This is what he is. Devil comes from diabolos, which is a translation of Satan, Satan, which means accuser. And you'll read in the Psalms when they are asking God to help them that the enemies, his enemies say, aha, aha. And that's a Hebrew word. Aha, I got you. Aha, there's that sin. The devil leads you into sin so that then he can accuse you. And that is his armor. His armor is that he can accuse you of sin, that he can hold you in bondage 
That is why the scripture says that he has the power of death because the wages of sin is death. And he holds your sins against you. He accuses you. He lies about the law so that you will think that you will not surely die. And then when you are under your sins, he lies and he says there is no grace for you. There is no one stronger than me. I have my armor on. I have you. You have to obey your desires. You have to be in bondage. That's what the devil does. He is our evil foe. And Jesus is against him because he is for us. He is our only help. He is our only hope. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And he shows us the way. A stronger man comes and takes away his armor in which he trusts. That's what he does. And this armor is this capacity to be able to accuse you of your sins, to hold you in bondage. But Jesus comes and he takes that armor away. How? Because in our flesh, the seed of the woman crushed the devil's head on the cross because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That means every accusation against you for your sin pierced Jesus' soul. That means that all of the devil's power, all of the armor in which he trusted is taken away from him and the judgment is placed upon Jesus and he takes away the devil's ability to accuse you. He takes away the right of the devil to say, aha, he's mine. And he says, no, all sins are mine. And the pastor says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. And he says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Drink, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And by the Spirit of God, he casts the devil out of your heart. It changes your mind so that you don't look at your sins in you, but you see them taken off of you into Christ and destroyed. And you see that snake who had held you crushed beneath the feet of him who is stronger than the devil, stronger than your sin, stronger than death because he is risen indeed. That is the kingdom of God. And that is why I urge you all, it's fine to be involved in politics, of course, but remember who we're actually wrestling against. Yeah, God used Herod, or the devil used Herod to do his evil work, but it all eventually worked out for the good, even with the, the holy innocent slain. God is in charge. Jesus has actually stripped the devil of his power. And so the kingdom of God does not come by observation. It's not like, hey, look here, look there. No, the kingdom of God is within you. It is among you. And it comes through his word, which you hear. This is what you Lutherans learn. What are the marks of the church? They are the very means of grace by which God casts the devil out of your life and gives you faith in him. This is the word of God. It is invisible. Everybody wants to see. They want to see this. This is why the Pope has so much pomp and power. This is why these big megachurches Act like they have so many people. Look at Joel Osteen with his beautiful pearly white smile in that you with a snake coming out of his mouth 
kind of like that weird bulletin picture we have. The kingdom of God does not come by observation. No, it comes to the broken and contrite heart. It comes to the one who sees in his life sin, who knows that whoever sins is of the devil, and he cries out because he is weak, and he needs a one stronger than himself and stronger than the devil, and Jesus is that stronger man. He is strong here for you today in your weakness. He is strong in his word. Now Jesus gives us a warning. He tells us that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through these dry, waterless places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. What this is describing is that an unclean spirit has gone out of a man. This means that this is a Christian. You notice that our baptism, we maintain the exorcism that the Reformed condemned us for. Depart thou unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a man who's a Christian but who sweeps everything and puts everything in order and gets content with who he is. He begins to think that he doesn't need the word of God anymore. Or he just says, oh, I've been baptized, so everything's good. I don't need to worry. And he relies on his own strength to keep his house clean. And what the devil does is he goes back there and he sees. He sees the person who was baptized and confirmed and confess the faith, secure in himself. And he finds it empty. That means the Spirit of God is not there. Because a person can grieve the Spirit of God not just by gross outward sins like, like covetousness and fornication, but by the pride of life, by thinking that we don't need him anymore. And so the devil comes and brings seven spirits more evil than the last, and the state of that man is worse than the first. He is describing the generation of Pharisees, he says in Matthew. So it will be with this generation, he says. Those who no longer think they need Jesus. And this is why when the woman raises her voice, he says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Jesus says, no, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And I looked at the Greek this week. It's, it's actually this. It's blessed are those who are hearing the word of God and keeping. It is a present continuous. It's a participle for you grammar people. That means you are hearing it and you are keeping it. As Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. It means that the only way to keep the devil out of your life and so that you do not grieve the spirit of God so that he leaves you and the devil returns and your last state is worse than the first, is with the word of God. I always want to, you know, I'm saying this to you who are here to listen to the word of God. And I want to say this to all those who skip church and don't think they need it anymore. But we have these people in our lives, and this happens in our life too, even if we go to church on Sunday. You go three, four days without praying or hearing the word of God or reading it or considering it, don't you think the devil is watching you? Don't you think he's going to bring something into your life to harden your heart? Or have you forgotten that you are weak? Have you forgotten that old Sunday school song, 
little ones to him belong, they are weak. He is strong. But if you have forgotten, then you are here in the kingdom of God today. It is at hand. And whatever demons, whatever devils, whatever sins in your life, bring them all to him who casts them out. Bring them to him who is stronger than you. Bring them to him whose grace abounds more than sin can increase. Bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Mary, your brother who sympathizes with your weaknesses, knows your failings, knows everything about you, knows your doubts, knows your bad habits, knows how easily you slip, and yet he came, sent by his Father, and willingly bore all of the sins that ensnare you, and he breaks your bonds apart, and once again he enters in and he casts out seven demons as he did for Mary Magdalene. And he says, you don't belong to them anymore. You belong to me. Your baptism is still good. It now saves you. It gives you the assurance that God the Father who created you still loves you in his Son who redeemed you. And you know this by his Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son and enters into your heart and points you away from the judgment of your conscience and the accusations of the accuser and says, take eat. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the body that overcame the devil. This is the body that died and was crucified and is risen and pleads for you, for all sinners at the right hand of God. And this is the blood when we confess our sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Blessed are those who are hearing the word of God and keeping it. I have a book, uh, bookshelf of devotions out there that I encourage you to grab a book of devotions. I also have a little sheet in your bulletin that you can use to read the word of God and keep it in your life. Because then you know that you are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, your Savior, the stronger man. And to know that, no matter how weak you feel, even when the devil throws your sins in your face, that you can say, yes, I know I am a sinner, and you are strong, you devil, stronger than I am. But I know of a stronger man, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is an advocate with the Father for me. And he is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for my sins, and not for mine only, but for the sins of the whole world. And he has taught me that he is your Lord, devil. And you are not my Lord. And he will guide me and teach me to walk in love as he loved, as he offered himself as a sacrifice for me that is still now a sweet-smelling aroma to God, so I will sacrifice myself for him. I will crucify my desires. I will repent of them when I see them in my heart and know that Jesus forgives me. Instead of being angry with someone who has made me angry, I will crucify that and be patient. Instead of lurching after what the world offers, with its pleasures, I will crucify those desires, and instead I will take joy in the God who blesses all those who suffer for his name's sake. Instead of seeking worldly riches that perish, I will be rich toward God and sacrifice my greed so that I might have the treasures of heaven, that I might have people to love and to show that God is love, to show that Jesus is stronger than the devil, stronger than the world, and thank God, he is stronger than me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.